pew. This is a holy place this morning as God's presence has filled our worship and may the Lord's heart be pleased with our worship to Him. Beginning today, a new series that will take us spring and through probably early August. And it's out of the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. Now, I'm starting, I don't do this often, but I'm starting two other new things right now. This Wednesday night in Scriptures with Pastor Jim, we're, we're starting a new series that will spring in, into summer out of one of my favorite books out of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. So if you want to journey with us with a group of wonderful people through Exodus, that'll start this Wednesday night in the chapel over here. And also, um, some of you listen to the half-hour podcasts I do every week with Pastor Ch- Chase Replogal. And we just, a few weeks ago, we just really at the beginning of this, we started a 66-week series on every book of the Bible, one book a week for all through 66 books of the Bible. And we're really enjoying it. Those podcasts are half hour long and they drop every Wednesday. If you go to centralassembly.org, click up on the, the media menu near the top and then you'll see podcast. Click there, Jim Bradford Podcast, and invite you to follow through. We're also just starting that season. We, we are a church that wants to be spiritually engaging and scripturally thoughtful. When those two things come together, I think we can change the world. Amen. So, I have a pastor friend. Today we're going to talk about kingdom authority. And this, the series name in Mark is Just Jesus. And I have a pastor friend who um, puts his Christmas tree up every July. And leaves it up for half a year. So, don't tell him this. But Mark is one of the only Gospels that does not start with the Christmas story. No Christmas story. In fact, right near the beginning of chapter 1 of Mark, we're introduced to Jesus as a 30-year-old man. No baby. No vulnerable baby. We love the vulnerable babies. We just dedicated one here today. But no baby because it helped me years ago when someone told me, you read the Gospels like a sermon not like just a historical record. The historical record's accurate, but you could fill books and books with what Jesus did. And how did they pick and choose certain things? It's because each one of the gospel writers had an audience in mind, and they were trying to communicate. Using true material out of Jesus' life, communicate something. And Mark was writing to a church in the capital city of the Roman Empire, right under the nose of Caesar. And they were about to really suffer for their faith as Nero would blame the burning of Rome on the Christians and then he would in turn burn Christians on the streets of Rome. And he, Mark, is concerned that this church understand not just vulnerable babies. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus came vulnerably to relate to all of our lives? And that's all true. But his concern is them understanding that right in the heart of the Roman Empire, they would know a Jesus who came with the authority of another empire in another kingdom, not of this world. And so he starts with Jesus, and here is the first recorded sermon we hear early in Jesus' life. He's just been baptized by John. That's when we first encounter Jesus in Mark. 
And then verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Good news he came proclaiming. And what was that good news? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God. Would you say those words with me? The kingdom of God. Not not the empire of Rome, but the kingdom of God has come near. He came announcing that another kingdom was breaking in on the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. Now kingdom, even the English word kind of helps us understand it, king and dom. A kingdom is where a king has dominion, dom, kingdom, the dominion of a king. Or it's everywhere where a king's rule is experienced. And I picture it this way. Uh, put it on the screen for you. This is review for some of you, I know. But it's like these two lines. It's the kingdom of God is what we would call the age to come. The people of Jesus' time, the prophets of the Old Testament, all the New Testament writers, viewed the totality of history in terms of two eras, the present age and the age to come. And that top line is the age to come, or we would call that the kingdom or rule of God. The bottom line, the present age, would be the kingdom of this world. It was characterized by the dominion of Satan, by sin, and by the human brokenness that comes with all of that. But Jesus appeared the first time when he came to die on the cross for us. He came announcing that the kingdom, the rule of God, is at hand, is at hand, that the kingdom of God is breaking in, and, and that the age to come is, has already arrived, at least in part. When Jesus comes again, that's the arrow going down, and you see the end to the line of the present age, this age is going to be done away with, and Jesus is going to be King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why we sang songs like, we yearn for that day when we're with you in heaven, when you're rule, and there will be no more tears because Jesus will come and put an end to satanic power, demonic dominions, and suffering, and he's going to bring an end to this age. That's coming in the future when Jesus comes again. The prophets of old called this the day of the Lord, that there would come, there would be a division between between. The, the present age and the age to come, and it would be the day of the Lord. Turns out the day of the Lord's been 2,000 years so far. That's a long day. But it was inaugurated when Jesus came at first. And on the cross, Paul would later write, on the cross he disarmed principalities and powers. The, the leading dominions of the present age of darkness were in, in some way, they have yet to serve their sentence, but in some way they had been disarmed and change had come, and the kingdom of God and the rule of God was beginning to break in. The kingdom of God is at hand. We live where those two lines overlap between his first and second coming. Some theologians call this the ready, the already, but the not yet. <laughs> I mean, the not yet is that the, the age to come has not yet totally taken dominion over the present age. So there are some, when there are no more tears and when there's no more sickness anywhere and all of that, that's the age to come. But it's begun to break in right now in Jesus upon us. 
And so in that sense, it's the already. And we live in between those two. And it's messy in between those two. Both Jesus and the Apostle Paul and a lot of the New Testament writing would constantly say to this, this is an age of overcoming. That's why we said, that's why we sang this morning, in the name of Jesus, I have the victory. Why can we sing that? Because the kingdom of God in Jesus is at hand and it is breaking through into our lives. And yet it's a messy time because the, the powers of this age are still in place. And so, and so we're going to suffer sometimes for following Jesus. And things don't always work out like we think. And sometimes not everybody's, not everybody's healed and not everybody's delivered and not everybody is free from sorrow and pain, but yet we live with the reality of the age to come in us. It, it's this way. Like Paul would say, like, like his boy Timothy, he'd write him and say, Timothy, even though Paul had this incredible healing ministry, I mean, sometimes healing miracles just exploded at certain seasons through his life. Yet, yet his man Timothy, that he was mentoring and, and, and there, was, there was Paul's partner and, and was a generation younger than him, he said, Timothy, I, I know you have all these stomach problems all the time and quote-unquote your frequent illnesses and, and I, I, you know, Timothy hadn't been healed yet, so Paul at best just gives him some medical advice there. And, and Demas, his ministry partner out there, Demas, he writes to Sim Timothy a second time, remember our partner Demas? In Star Wars language, he, 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 uh, he went to the dark side. Demas used to be full of the Holy Spirit and he used to be a partner with us in ministry. But he has loved this present age. And he has defected and turned his back on Jesus. And you know, you go, Paul, I thought you were a super apostle. I thought, I mean, how could anybody that close to you? It's because we live in this messy time where there's spiritual warfare, where, where, where things don't always fit our simple formulas, where we don't always know what God's up to because, you know, even Paul would say, say to the Thessalonian church, you don't know how many times I've tried to come to you. And every time Satan stopped me. No, I thought we had the victory. And Paul said, but Satan hindered me. And so we just kind of walked. Sometimes Paul said, I thought I should go to this country. And I hit, a, I, I hit a door that was closed. So I thought I should go to this country. I hit another door that was closed. So then he ends up being where God wants him to be. I mean, it's messy. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. Sometimes when people teach on faith, they will take too much from the age to come after this present age is done. They will say, you know, you ought to never have sorrow in this life if you have faith. You ought to never be sick in this life if you have faith. You ought to never have anybody you witness to not give their life to Jesus if you truly have faith. That was not Paul's reality. That is not our reality. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was preparing the way for when he would bring a final end when he comes again to the kingdom of this age. So I want to say two things, two things about this. Number one, you, you belong, you and I, we live in the present age, but we belong to the age to come. This present age does no longer define us. Now, I remember I was a slow learner as a kid. I was a little slow. And I was developmentally delayed in some ways, I think, and at the end of second grade, which is the most horrible year of my life, a second grade teacher brought me up in front of the class and said, Jim, you're a turtle. And I hope someday you'll catch up and speed up. So 
I thank God that I don't belong. I'm not defined by the present age. I'm not defined by what a second grade teacher said to me. So fast forward 20 years. It's the day I defend my PhD dissertation in non-geostrophic baroclinic instability of two fluids. And I suddenly have all these degrees in it, rocket science. And I remember it was suddenly the end. You know, I just, they came out in the hallway, said you passed, and it was all over. So what do you do? I thought, well, I'll just go down to my lab, plop my books on my desk, and walk home. And I had the most interesting walk home. This one possibly wicked thought entered my head. I wish my second grade teacher could see me now. <laughs> that was a little self-serving, but... And then this thought came. I said, and I was just enjoying the presence of Jesus and still kind of feeling overwhelmed over what just happened that afternoon. And, and, and I, I remember thinking, I just accomplished something that really most people statistically don't have the privilege of accomplishing. I get to have a PhD behind my name. But I was overwhelmed. My second grade teacher was a fleeting thought, but I was overwhelmed with the realization I said to the Lord, Lord, even though I got to accomplish what few other people get to accomplish, this would be so empty if it wasn't for you. And I just want to stand in front of you. Every identity needs a reference point. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not defined by a second grade teacher. You're not even defined by the biggest success in your life. You are defined by the fact that you belong to the age that's still on its way. And when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven's at hand, he was reorienting our identity radically. That makes me totally change the way I'm going to look at tomorrow. Second thing I want to say is this. Meanwhile, you know, we, we fill the already but not yet, not with frustration but with faith. It can be hard. It can be easy to fill the already but not yet with frustration. Because sometimes the journey of faith puts us on an emotional roller coaster. I'm really believing God for something. And then for some reason in the messiness of the already but not yet and the conflict of the kingdoms and the spiritual warfare we're a part of. Things don't always happen on our schedule or the way we'd like them to. And, and it just gets messy. We can get frustrated with this. Sandy and I, we, uh, last night when we were praying together, I mean, we were thanking God like, there's a couple of things we've been laboring in prayer over for three years now. And one of them probably saw its final victory two days ago. And God's kingdom broke through. And His authority broke through. And another one with our family. And we've just seen the hand of God. And so we were thanking God for that. And we also then visited another issue in prayer that we have been visiting for over 15 years, and we still haven't seen the breakthrough. All we know is that in the already but not yet, we choose to not fill the gap with frustration, but to fill it with faith. Because Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Mark, because members said he's editing stories to communicate a message to the church in Rome. Mark then talks about Jesus' kingdom authority. Jesus' kingdom authority and what this will mean. And he's going to take 
there's five ways in which next he, str- he puts some stories together in, in, from Jesus' life in which Jesus' kingdom authority is embodied. But the two probably biggest ones and most important ones uh, come right here. And first of all, it's his authority to evict evil. Remember, the present age is ruled by evil. But here's Jesus' authority to evict evil. It says he's preaching in the synagogue in Capernaum in Mark 1, 22. The people were amazed at his teaching. So this is right after Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And now he's going to demonstrate the authority of this new rulership of God breaking in on the present age and the powers of darkness. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And the answer is yes. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the powers of darkness that rule this present age are manifested here in demonic power. And, and, and this is what the demons say. We, we know that you're like no other human. You are, you are the Holy One of God to whom Jesus would later say, all authority in heaven and earth has given me. Jesus replied, be quiet in a stern way. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with what? Authority. Because he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. This is the one who someday will put away forever the kingdoms and powers of this age. He had authority to evict evil, but then there's one more. He also had authority to heal brokenness because this present age is marked by evil and brokenness, by sin and the human brokenness. I I, I don't know a person alive in all my life that I've ever met that hasn't struggled with brokenness. And uh, whether it's physical brokenness and sickness relational brokenness, emotional brokenness. I mean, we all fight this. And as soon, verse 29, as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law, this would be Peter. Simon is Peter, the apostle Peter later. This is Peter. And, and I've been to the site of the, this ancient synagogue in Capernaum, and, and the excavation of this house is right just a few yards in front of the synagogue before you get to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he went there. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. What did Jesus do? He went to her. He took her hand and helped her up. And thank God the fever left her. And she began to wait on them. And then you put... Jesus' authority to evict evil and Jesus' authority to heal brokenness together. Verse 32, that evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. These two things, the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick, become symbolic of what the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, is all about. God's rule 
is breaking in, in the rule, into the rule of darkness in this present age. And as a result, evil's evicted and brokenness is healed. That's why the early evangelists, as you read through the, the New Testament, they would preach the gospel, and then the gospel would be confirmed with signs following. And usually it was the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick. And especially as we get on our heart to want to reach the lost, I just believe Jesus wants to use us. Every time you have an opportunity to pray with somebody that you're sharing Christ with, even if they say no, here's what I found people usually say yes to. Well, is there something in your life I could pray for? And what you're doing is you're just opening up for Jesus to show his authority, for Jesus to show his ability to intervene in his kingdom dominion. This, this is it. I remember at the University of Minnesota, I befriended an international student uh, when I was still a student there. And, and he, was a, he was a Muslim uh, guy, and we became friends. And he didn't have much money, you know, international. You know, none of us as students had money. And it was a brutally cold winter, and I, I ended up giving him my best overcoat. You know, I just was trying to love this guy, reach out to him, share with him. And, and I don't know if he ever gave his life to the Lord, but he did come to a church service one day. And I, I just felt like, like, like I was supposed to have people come up and pray for them that need a healing. There was about 20 people came forward. I knew them all. I was their pastor. I knew them all. It was a smaller church. I was their pastor. I kind of knew what they were struggling with. And here, of all things, is my friend, the Muslim guy, standing right in the middle. I, I didn't know he needed healing, but there it was. And I went down. I just anointed him with oil. It was pretty quick. It was in the middle of the service. Just touched people on the forehead and prayed for them. Lord, let your healing come. Let your healing come. And... Um, I, I didn't see much visible of anything happen, but he, he, he got to me afterwards, and he said, he said, you know what, I, I have this skeletal problem, like my bones don't fit together right, and it's my back and my leg and my hips, and I've been struggling with this for a long time. He said, I don't understand this, but when you touched my forehead, he said, my bones started to rearrange. He said, I could feel it, and I could actually hear the clicking of my bones together as they came back. Now, the funny thing, everyone else was a devoted follower of Jesus, and I don't think God healed one of them that night. <laughs> but this is what happens. We preach the gospel, and God wants to confirm it with his signs and wonders because Jesus is the one to whom all authority has been given in heaven and earth. His authority to evict evil, his authority his authority to heal brokenness. So I want, I'm going to ask for 10 more minutes from you, which is a little longer than I usually preach. But I just want to talk to you really pastorally and realistically about our response, just the reality of our responses, living in this messy era. Because some of us, like Sandy and I, have prayer requests that are 15, 20 years old and they still haven't been answered. So what do you do with a God who has authority, all authority in heaven and earth? I mean, how do you wrestle with this? And the first verse that really helps me uh, has to do with faltering faith. Do you realize that it's probably unreasonable to think our faith needs to be perfect for God to intervene? In fact, Jesus said, all you need is just a little bit. 
And it is, like that word we heard this morning prophetically, it is our faith that draws the reality of everything we adore God for. All of his power, all of that. Faith just draws that. But sometimes it's a faltering faith. And so if we just fast forward for a minute to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. A boy who has a, a dad who has a demon-possessed boy comes and he's desperate for Jesus' intervention. And uh, verse 21 of chapter 9, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. And by the way, the spirit of this age doesn't want your good. It'll allure you with good, but it wants your destruction in the end. So he said it's often thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, would you take pity on it? I, I can't imagine as a father having a child from a young age that suddenly, unpredictably and uncontrollably goes into suicidal compulsions. I mean, how can this be? And how desperate and helpless. I mean, you don't even want the kid out of your sight. I mean, you don't know when it'll happen or how, and he's your boy. I mean, I mean, this guy is desperate. And he says, he starts with if, if you can. And, and Lord, you know, I'm not asking for some noble miracle. I, I, I just need pity right now. I mean, he is so desperate. Lord, if you just could have pity on us right now and help us. And Jesus picked up on the if clause. Um, if I can? Kind of like, uh, do you know who you're talking to here? For everything is possible for one who believes. For you put your faith in me, there's nothing out of the realm of possibility. Nothing's impossible. And then comes probably one of the most honest, personal confessions you'll find anywhere in the Bible. He says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. That's where we start. But Lord, would you help my unbelief? Now, if you have never had a shred of unbelief, if you've been a scorn, a batting a thousand on your faith life so far, um, come see me afterwards. I need you to pray for me. I mean, who of us hasn't been there. Let's be honest. I mean, this is a vulnerable moment. I mean, I'm sure he hoped, I hope the second half of that sentence didn't, didn't invalidate Jesus doing a miracle here. But this is the reality in the messiness of this present age. Sometimes it is, Lord, Lord, I believe. But would you help me in my unbelief? And you know, I can honestly say I've served the Lord long enough that there are some things I just have an innate ability to trust the Lord for that maybe I didn't have years ago, that we grow in faith. We, we grow to depend on God in certain ways. We understand the way God's cut us out and the way he wants us to walk with him in faith and, and, and be open to his spirit. This is, this is all I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And yet this is painfully honest, but it's real. This is part of the reality of our responses. And, and did that second half negate the first half? Negate the miracle? No. 
Jesus just sit, saw that they're starting to attract a crowd, so he just cast the demon out of that boy with a word. He's the God of all authority. Look, he could do something this afternoon with just a word that could, that could change everything. That's why we as a church, we always start with, Lord, I believe. That's where he started. And would you help me? My unbelief. I believe. That's why we came into church today singing songs that you might not have felt like. Like, in the name of Jesus, I have the victory we sang today. And you may, you may not feel like that right now, but we all we start with the declaration of faith in him. Because our experience doesn't change the fact that he is the God who has authority in heaven and on earth. And he is the one who's bringing the kingdom of of God to break in on the kingdom of this world. But there's also got to be, and this is critical, an unshakable bottom line. And here's where a story in the Old Testament really helps me personally. There's an unshakable bottom line that I think describes perfectly how we live day to day in the messiness of this in-between time and yet fully aware of the supernatural power of God breaking in. And it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's just flat-out fun saying those three names. And Nebuchadnezzar's, you know, the, these, are, these are Jewish young men in exile in Babylon, and, 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 and Nebuchadnezzar erects this great golden image, really tall, really big, and commands his entire nation to worship it. And whenever you worship idols, you're opening yourself to the powers of this age. You're opening yourselves to demonization. And these three men refused to bow. Nebuchadnezzar found, finds out, and he says, I'm going to give them one more chance, and if they don't, we're, I'm going to threaten, we're going to toss them into the fire. I'm going to watch them burn alive, because they won't bow to my image. And they say in verse 17 of Daniel 3, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And then there's a but. But if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set and this is a beautiful pathway in the messiness of this in-between already but not yet time to stay constantly open by faith to a kingdom authority that is embodied in Jesus and that we access by faith in his name. He said, first of all, King, our God can deliver us. And so we come declaring that every week in worship, our God can. And then he says, then they say, our God will deliver us. Do they know that for sure? They don't know that for sure. But that's always the posture of faith. As long as I'm alive, I want to be believing God for the impossible, whether I see it this week or not. I mean, someday when I appear before Jesus, he's not going to say, uh, yeah, yeah, you might have been a half-decent pastor, but I really don't like the way you had too much faith. You know, Jesus is not going to say that to me. We, we say, God, you can, and God, you will. I'm going to stand the ground that you're going to intervene. You're going to intervene in my friend's life. You're going to intervene in my health. You're going to intervene. 
But if you only have those two without the third part, you possibly are setting yourself up to be very disappointed and disillusioned. You know, we've all heard the stories of, you know, I was eight years old and I prayed that God would heal my mother of cancer and she died. So I don't want anything to do with a God like that anymore. There is a bottom line that's not been firmly established. Here was the bottom line. He can. And I'm going to position my life and live as if he will. But if he doesn't, I'm still on his side. I'm still on his side. So what happens in the next few verses is they throw him in. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's so angry. He's livid. He throws him into the fire. And then he's shocked because he's got to take this and he just wants to see these turkeys burn alive. And he looks in and he sees them walking around. Nothing on them is burning. They're not burning. And he sees a fourth person in there. And he says in shock, didn't we send, didn't we throw three guys into the fire? How come I see fourth? And the fourth one looks like one of the sons of the gods. We say at Christmas that Jesus was incarnated. That means he took on flesh. This would have been a pre-incarnate revelation of Jesus. Here is Jesus right in the fire. You know, and God did, those guys came out, not even the smell of smoke on them. God did deliver them, although he didn't spare them from the horror of being thrown into the fire and not sure what's going to happen. But Jesus, who is there with them? Jesus, just Jesus. Just Je- Sometimes that's all you have amidst all your questions, among all the contradictions of life. I mean, God, I'm serving you. I'm getting thrown into the fire now. I mean, and there's Jesus. You know, my dad died very suddenly at 75 years old. Uh, and my mom didn't die two years ago at almost 94. I, I don't figure this out. I don't know why my godly, energetic da- dad just dropped dead at work. And he loved Jesus with all his heart. So did my mom. But she got to live 20 more years. I don't understand this. All I know is that my mom said like two or three nights before dad died, they had no clue this was going to happen. She's lying in bed waiting to fall asleep. And she hears the words, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. She had no clue what it meant. But she heard it. I'm going to take care of you. That was it. Two days later, two, three, three days later, my dad dies. And that became the story of my mom's life the next 20 years till she died. I took, I mean, how God just took care of her year after year. And the flames were pretty hot for her in embracing my dad's departure. But, but Jesus was walking with her there. Jesus was right there. The one who said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And, and that's why we confidently say, he can. And we assume he will. That's our posture of faith. But if he doesn't, here's what I'm sure of. He's going to walk with me anyway. And I'm going to stay in his side. Will you stand with me? Please.